What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Today's interview is with Maurice Woods, who is the principal design lead at Microsoft and the founder and executive director of the Interact Project. Maurice has been a graphic designer for over 17 years, and like most people of color who was entering graphic design back then and even today, he didn't see a whole lot of people that looked like him and didn't find that he had the same kind of opportunities and accessibility to grow in that industry. And so the entire time that he's been working and design at companies like Microsoft, Yahoo, and doing work with companies like Nike, he's also been building up the Interact Project, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing free design education to underrepresented minority youth, everyone from middle school to high school, all the way up to college now, just providing them with free educational programs that he and his team have developed that will help them learn how to do graphic design at an early age see role models in this industry and get access to the resources that they need so that down the line, they can be successful in this world of graphic design and tech. It's an incredible discussion all about his own journey and what he thinks companies should be focusing on when it comes to building diverse and inclusive communities and companies. He shares how he scaled up the Interact project to be reaching thousands of students today. It's a really interesting conversation. Hope you all enjoy it. Let's dive in. Mo, welcome to the show. Thank you, uh, Spinks. Thank you for having me. Appreciate <laughs> it. Happy to be here. We gave each other permission ahead of the show to use each other's <laughs> nicknames. So I am Spinks. You are Mo. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> Well, I'm very excited to chat. We recently had Kat Fellows on the podcast, who's the author of We Should Get Together. And we asked her, who's the one community builder that we should invite onto the show? And, and you immediately came to mind for her. And oh. I've gotten to know a bit more about your work just from researching for this interview. And it's unbelievable how much you've accomplished and not just in your profession as a designer, but also as a community builder and helping kind of the future generation of designers, specifically folks from underrepresented groups, have access and and be able to find belonging in your industry. So first off, just props for all the incredible work that you've done. Oh, man, thank you. Appreciate it, man. It's uh, at this point a part of who I am. I've been doing it for so long and I do it because uh, I care about it and I'm passionate about seeing uh, people of color uh, be successful and be represented in the business. Yeah, well, that that definitely shines through. So I'd love to just kick off with a quick kind of background on what first drew you to design in the first place, and then how did you ultimately come to start the Interact Project, which, for those who don't know, focuses on providing design education for, I think it's middle school and high school, right? Actually, it's full cycle. So we, we do middle school, high school, but we also work with college and okay. career professionals as well. 
Very cool. So providing more accessibility to the design industry and distributing uh, really great educational programs at scale. How did you get to this point? So I got to this point really as a culmination of things that I went through in my life. Um, I started off with the, you know, with the trajectory of towards basketball. So you played professionally, right? Yeah, I played professional basketball in Europe. Uh, I played in college. And that's how I got to the University of Washington, Seattle, was through a basketball scholarship. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, be tall and, and, and have some skill. And so I got a scholarship there. And that's what uh, really allowed me to be able to be exposed. Good to know. I, I like to challenge my guests to basketball one-on-ones <laughs> once in a while, but I will not be doing that in this interview. Yeah. You know, well, you probably could now, man. My knees are pretty bad. So, yeah. <laughs> so <are> mine. <laughs> I was playing with my son the other day, and it was funny. It was like I was literally just, you know, doing very light defense on him, and I had to ice my <laughs> knees for like, oh, no. you know, two hours. It was bad. Oh, no. You know, I haven't played since COVID hit, and I'm just, I know that first day I'm going to get out there and play some pickup. I'm just going to be broken for the next, like, three weeks. Yeah, so. man. Yeah. So I just to share my story a little bit, the, the quick end of it is, is that, you know, basketball was really the thing for me. It just goes to show like you really know, really don't really know often like what you want to be and what you want to do. Sometimes you have to let things play out. And, you know, my trajectory was, again, just basketball. And I got to the University of Washington. I had to pick a major. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And at the time. I was so fixated on being a professional basketball player and playing an NBA that um, school wasn't important to me. And uh, after two years of playing, I realized that I had to make a decision because basketball was not leading me to the NBA at that point. So that's really how everything kind of started. I, I took, you know, this course, you know, graphic design, and I was able to get in. And through that opportunity, I got an undergraduate degree in design. And then I after that, went to go play professional basketball in Europe for seven seasons. And then when I came back from doing that, that's when I had this itch that I really kind of wanted to uh, take the things that I learned both in you know, college you know, and undergraduate with design, and then all the things I learned from playing basketball internationally, and look at all the success that I had or opportunities that I had. And I wanted to provide that for young people of color, like myself, who grew up in, you know, in in the hood in Richmond, and that, you know, may not know or may not have skill or be 6'10 and be able to play uh, basketball, that uh, there is a career out there that they can do. So that's how kind of Interact Project started. I was really in graduate school. I went back to graduate school after basketball and had a course to that was uh, culminated around this idea of how do you use design to change the world? And it was just, it was an assignment. And I took it literally. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing, what I was getting myself into. At that time, I would just, you know. They're like, Maurice, you know you don't actually have to change the world with this assignment. (laughs) Exactly. It was something else, man. I, I was just like, now that I think about it, I'm just like, gosh, man, I don't know if I would have the courage to do it all now, you know, knowing what I know. But part of the, the mindset that I was in at that point was really a, a reflection point of my life and thinking about all the things I had done up to that point. And then I had this opportunity to do something. What would I do? 
And that's where Interact Project was born. I, I wrote a proposal and, you know, I said, I want to use design or my skills or my understanding around design to impact other communities of color. And I started off by teaching three students in 2004 um, at a community center. By the end of that summer, uh, I was working with 30 kids, and that's how everything started. Wow. Did it feel small at first, you're trying to change the world, to start with only three kids? You know, interesting enough, I never looked at it that way. I never saw myself really, you know, Interact Project being what it is today, to be honest. I was uh, working from pure passion. I mean, I still have passion and everything today, but back then I was fixated on doing whatever I could, whatever, whatever ability that I had to try to make a difference. And that was my focus. And throughout the years, it caught on because I found that there are other like-minded people out there like me that also cared about it. And as I continued on, what drove me was the students, obviously, that I work with, but also the design community and their interest in also working with me to make a difference as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and just for context for people, right now, DEI in the world of tech and and finally seeing people of color and the experience that they're having is very much in the mainstream. But you started Interact back in 2004. Yep. And, and this was right at the very start of your career. Yep. So you weren't like a successful designer at Microsoft or Yahoo yet. You didn't work with Nike yet, or maybe that was when you first started doing some of the work with Nike. But like, yeah. this is like very, very early. Very early. What was your experience like as a designer, as a person of color, as a designer coming into the world of tech and business at that time? Interesting enough, I remember my introduction to tech didn't come until later. Like I was, I mean, obviously being in the Bay Area, you know, you were, you had the, the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust. And uh, when I was done playing basketball in, I think, 2000, that's when the dot-com bust was happening here in the Bay Area. And I was looking right. for work and I couldn't find anything. That was kind of like a real thing for me. And I never thought of ever working in a tech company. I was trying to work as a graphic designer and I was looking at graphic design firms. And I ended up working at an ad agency, Butler, Shine, Stern & Partners. I was doing work for Nike and other brands. And then I went on to work at Pentagram Design. So my introduction into the business was not tech. My introduction right. in the business was graphic design. And I got into tech later on. Mm -hmm. When I started Interact Project in 2004, the business was already working around how can we get a more diverse body of designers into design. It wasn't a new premise that I had, obviously. It was something that, you know, a lot of folks were thinking about at that time. I wasn't necessarily feeling like, man, it's up to me to kind of change this thing. I was just kind of thinking like, you know what, I, as a graduate student or undergraduate, especially in graduate school, I was doing a lot of study around Black aesthetics and design representation. I found it to be a little off-putting that as I was doing research to find other designers of color or looking at the landscape of design, there were not many represented designers of color. Mm. And it was not a subtle thing. You know, it's like, I'm trying to do research and find designers. And I'm just like, man, there's only a few of them. That really kind of led me to a more broader study around Black aesthetics and my understanding and my placement within the space. 
And with being a graduate of design and then playing basketball and then coming back as with a graduate degree, I felt it was kind of like my responsibility to do something. And so that's how this, uh, this all worked in 2004 was like, man, like if I'm going to make a difference, it doesn't, you know, I didn't see myself like trying to join other people around that at that point. My biggest thing was like, how can I be reactionary to take a step towards doing something? Right. And I think that is sometimes the hardest thing like that for people to really do is to start. Because oftentimes you, you get caught up in a lot of other things like life and, and cost of, of, of doing business and, you know, the feasibility and processes. And it's not easy to start a nonprofit or start a business. You know, it's just a lot of work, a lot of long hours. And you really have to be in that mindset to actually engage and, and be committed. That's where I was. That's where my head was in 2004. And I just went for it and just uh, evolved as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, it's especially hard to take that first step when you're tackling, you know, small problems like systemic racism. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's you can't solve it all. And so sometimes people don't take any action, but you did start taking action even in, in smaller ways at first. And then now it's grown to, I think, over 1,500 youth who have been, uh, who have gone through the Interact Project education program. Yeah, it's probably been more than that by now because those, those numbers are old. I mean, we do a lot of work with students throughout the year, and we kind of count, but we don't really count the sort of passive introduction to students, you know, like mm -hmm. nothing against it, but like we really try to work on making sure that all of our work is hands-on and that we're working specifically with students to just sort of passing information to them and then walking away. Right. So there is a lot of intentionality around our work in making sure that we form some retention patterns, that we keep students engaged throughout the year, and that we have incentives and a variety of other things that sort of support them, not only just in the classroom, but outside the class. I say this with, with a lot of confidence that, and I used to say this a lot back, back in the day, that lack of diversity in design is kind of the cousin to racism. And hmm. it's a result of, it's not the fact that, you know, the design industry is not keenly aware of it or does not want more diversity, but the fact that all the intertwining of processes and laws and unequal or less access to a quality education and all these other barriers that uh, impede people of color from a young age all the way up to a uh, career really sort of touches upon the, the systemic racism that has, is intertwined in our culture. And that is a very hard thing to overcome. And mm -hmm. you have to have a system to meet a system. And that's the reason why a lot of the work that we do goes beyond just you know, education. It goes beyond just uh, outreach to communities, but it goes around more of a bigger plan around how do you not only just engage people of color, but how do you build some level of, of confidence and opportunities through all these different um, teachings and learnings that we can do so that uh, people of color have opportunities to what I call, quote unquote, see and learn and then take advantage of the opportunities uh, without, without any barriers of like 
lack of um, technology, uh, hardware, software, um, money to actually do and activate, get activated on anything, um, lack of education, um, time, and all these things that were inundated with, with our lives every day. I'm curious, on a more practical, operational level, to have such a hands-on program that involves not just hands-on education, but ongoing support, how did you structure it to be able to essentially have this impact at scale, to have this program run without you being in the room personally, you know, yeah. teaching every class and holding every hand? This is where community comes in hand. So our nonprofit, uh, for better or worse, is very volunteer-based. We have, I have two full-time employees, so I don't have, you know, we need to have more employees and that's one issue that we're working through. But the benefit of it all is, is that uh, we rely on our community, design community and urban community to support the work that we do. The system, the way that we work is we, we have various different stages. So we have, obviously, as a person of color, you can come in at a middle school age, you can come in at a high school age, you can come in at college, you can come in as a career. And regardless of where you come in, we have various different opportunities for you. From middle school to high school, you know, obviously there's more educational side to that. So we're actually teaching and we have uh, processes set up that allow companies or individuals to teach uh, various different workshops, to use their skills to teach various different workshops. We have templates and we have resource materials through examples. And then we also have uh, volunteers that have been working with us as much as eight years. And they are committed to helping us onboard individuals and answer questions. So we rely a lot on our community. Mm -hmm. And through that process, we're able to do a lot with a little. We're not the most heavily funded organization, but you know we do the best that we can. And uh, we look to our communities to help us support us in very, a variety of different ways that we possibly can. So, We talk a lot about that on the show of how community is something that can unlock scale, even if you have limited people or resources, by tapping into the collective energy and resources of the community, you can actually have a lot of impact and, and touch a lot of people. I know one of the things you also did was develop uh, design education framework that you know was repeatable that you can kind of hand to someone and they would know how to lead one of these programs. Is that right? Yeah, I designed the original framework, and then over the years it's evolved. Uh, we've had a number of uh, education chairs as volunteers that have come in have done an absolute incredible job of evolving it and making it you know where it is today. So I can't take full credit for everything, but. Uh, when I originally started Interact Project in 2004, the framework was such that we developed almost like these modules, if you will. And from the very first day that I started it, uh, well, maybe not the first day, but at least after the first year, it was clear to me that I had to build a system. So I had to have a kit of parts. I had to have, okay, this is how we do the curriculum. This is how we set certain things up. and we're we even plan down to the actual minute what happens in the classroom. And we have processes around that. We have processes around, 
you know, various different types of examples to teach various different types of things to students. And then we also have a process for volunteers in terms of picking, selecting volunteers, uh, volunteers being a part of committees, chairs, and allowing them to lead specific initiatives and build initiatives that are on mission to uh, helping us achieve more with little. So there is a lot of structural work that has been done by the team. You know, I don't, any stretch of imagination, like to take credit for everything. I am a, a participant in something that's bigger than me and, quite frankly, bigger than Interact Project. It's about how do we bring more people of color into this business to help represent a diverse world that is becoming even more and more diverse as we speak. And businesses know this. If they don't, they best know this, that uh, the market for uh, consumers is, is becoming uh, more and more black and brown. Mm-hmm. It's just the reality of it. Now, we may not have the buying power as whites do, but, or we may not have the, the purchasing power or buying power that, that is coming from white, but we definitely have the purchasing power. We're uh, spending a lot of money on products and services. And uh, there's more responsibility in, in that comes with the way that companies are, you know, developing products and services that are meeting a diverse world, because uh, you have to represent more people and people are more outspoken about that more now than they ever have been. Yeah. Well, what do you think are the most common mistakes that companies are still making when it comes to both hiring, building diverse teams rather in, in their design teams? And in terms of designing for diverse audiences? Well, I think one of the obvious things that sort of stand out to me is that a lot of companies tend to, and it's not really, I hate to point the finger at companies, right? Because this is such a big problem and it goes beyond all of the stuff that we think. Like we think, oh, if one company comes in there, they can solve this. If, If only these companies were doing this. And it's just so much bigger and broader than that. But a lot of what I see is, is that companies tend to only focus on a small portion of the problem. You know, making a diverse workforce goes well beyond just trying to recruit. It goes well beyond just trying to work with early professionals in college. And it goes to thinking about uh, where people of color are what are their environments? What are the barriers that they come across as, as young people? Like I was reading this stat years ago, and uh, it was saying in 2014 that black uh, boys and girls in elementary schools were twice as likely to be suspended in, in school than Latin and white kids. And if you think about that, that's a big deal because suspensions obviously lead to dropouts. There's a, there is a direct correlation to that. And you think about like just the barrier of just trying to achieve through education and all the educational problems of lack of uh, funding in schools and just trying to get a proper education is like, it's, you know, not as easy as people would think. And um, those are the things that are pitting the industry up. Uh, you know, I, I use this analogy. As an industry, we're just, we're swimming in two feet of water and we need more people. We need to fill that pool up to about six feet of water, right? 
And we're going to continue swimming in two feet of water until we start to work uh, more broadly and think about the uh, upcoming generation of young people and helping to support those efforts around how do we get those people into design early. Hmm. What do you mean by two feet of water? So right now, what I, what I mean is, is that we're, we're just going surface level. We're only going like we go to HBCUs and, and then we try to find students here and there. And that stuff is fine. I, I don't disregard any of that stuff because I think all of that effort is worth the use cases. But you only have X amount of students in there. There's only X amount of programs HBCUs that are teaching design. Right. And then what about community colleges and associate degrees and things of that nature? What about like supporting high school students that are looking to go to college? All of those things play into more representation. If you look at basketball, for example, there's less than 2% that you'll make it to the NBA. Yet you have a flood. You have thousands, hundreds of thousands of students of, of black kids, brown kids trying mm -hmm. to be basketball players. Right. Yeah. And it's because they have a full uh, system in place that as early as four years old, you can be learning how to play basketball. You know, uh, mm -hmm. access to basketball is free. I mean, it's fairly cheap. You can go buy a basketball, go outside to a court and shoot. It's accessible. You can go to your local community center, see other people that look like you on your team trying out to play basketball. There's parental support behind it. There's community support behind it. And then you get to see athletes that are making lots of money. So there's lots of context. That's what Interact Project is trying to do. Yeah. And that's what we're working on. And until companies really invest more broadly, they're going to be swimming in that two feet of water. They're going to just be getting only a small segment of the potential opportunity that they could be getting if they reach more broadly and get more people of color into that that uh, business so i love that yeah and that makes sense for why you chose to really center youth programs in your work because that's kind of getting at the top of the you know top of the talent funnel yeah. in a way or or giving those opportunities at earlier stages when you can have a huge impact rather than what a lot of companies do is still just focus on the current pool of candidates or or on adults, which is important as well, but the the opportunity of of centering the youth and, and making sure the next generation has those role models, has access, has programs where they can learn, that's what will solve this problem or work towards solving this problem in a meaningful way in the long run. Yeah. Outside of all the stuff that I told you, I mean, we're still working in an uphill battle. I mean, schools, colleges, you know, are professors, I think I was reading it's like 75, 78% white. And then you look at, uh, you know, graduates at design schools, I believe it's like, uh, what, maybe 7% are getting bachelor's degrees uh, for, for Lat Latin or Hispanic. It's like, you know, 13%. And then white is like 47%. And in an industry wide, you're looking at like 3% for black, you know, and uh, 10% for Latino, right? And then like white is 75%. So it's an uphill battle, but I, I believe that, you know, Interact Project can make a difference. Our, our goal right now, like right now we're pretty local. It's always been our goal to be national or global. And our program is meant to scale 
to really any city in the country. I believe that we could do it now if we had the personnel. We just don't have the funds to get the personnel to be able to do it. And uh, we're working on that. And once we're able to do that, then we would like to have a cohort of students uh, nationally or globally that are all in pursuit of either a college degree in design or a career in design. That's, that's our goal. I love that. Well, we'll touch on this at the end, but because it's already coming up, if people who are listening now want to contribute either as volunteers or donate or support with funds, where can they go to do that? Uh, they can go on our website. That's the best place to do it. I always ask individuals like, man, if what it really, really helps us if people give recurring donations, even if it's like five or $10 a month, like right. that stuff just, it just, it just helps because when we can, you know, it helps our staff. It helps me hire more staff. Like I, it's hard for me to do that without that. So gives you predictable resources as well. Yeah. Yeah. It just really helps. So if people are listening and, you know, they feel compelled to help, I would first ask that people start there. We have a lot of volunteers and that comes with a price for us because with more volunteers, it means more management. And that puts a strain on the organization sometimes because like we only have two full-time employees and we're trying to fan hundreds of volunteers and it's just, it just begins to be, you know, quite a bit of work. Absolutely. But, I mean, obviously we still want to, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. You know, we still want people to, to help us in, in, in various different ways, but the reoccurring uh, donations is really super helpful for us. That's awesome. Out of curiosity, is there anything that you've thought about where you can help companies hire talent and, and they would pay you for that? Yeah. Access? Yeah. We're working on a solution for that right now. Nice. I think, you know, part of what I've had to learn as this journey with Interact Project is developing communities and administering education and frameworks and developing the system is all fine. But if we don't have a means for bringing in money, it becomes really, really difficult to do stuff. And, you know, when I started Interact Project, I wasn't thinking about that. I was all passion, all heart. And I was like, I'm just going to like do this. And then, you know, probably like I would say seven, eight years into it, I was like, oh man, yeah, I really got to put more stronger (laughs) effort on this because, you know, it's a couple of times I almost had to shut Interact Project down because it was like, I don't know financially if I'm going to be able to do it. And I've always worked a full-time job while doing this work. So it's just been a long, hard ride. But to answer your question specifically, we have partner programs. So we we partner a lot with tech companies now. And they provide some level of income for our our work and allows us to do things with uh, that impact students through that. But we are thinking about a few areas where we can work and help with recruiting. We, we started a program called Interview Prep that is live now. Uh, if you go on our LinkedIn page, you can find it there. And we're working on a new iteration of that. That's going to be a platform that we're going to be rolling out probably in the summer sometimes. So mm-hmm. people should look out for that because it'll be really cool. Is that interview prep for the candidate or for the interviewer? It's for both. So cool. it allows anyone who wants to give mock interviews feedback or uh, be a mentor to students, a platform to do that. And Love that. it's been super helpful. It's all, we bring in mentees that are all, you know, candidates of colors, designers of color. 
And they basically come in there, whether that college, early, mid-career. And, you know, we had about, I think in our first MVP version, we had about 137 mentors in there. And they're interviewing, like we have interviewees or mentees that are going in and doing like four to seven interviews. I mean, they're doing a lot. And they're preparing right. for interviews. Some have gone on there because they're working on a freelance project, right? Like they're freelancers and they need feedback. So they'll go in there and just get feedback on their work. And then we have some who have found mentors through it uh, that they continue working with, you know, even after they've gotten a job somewhere. So yeah. know, a lot of value in that. And so we're working on iterating that and making that stronger this summer. Very cool. Yeah, man. I mean, I relate to your experience a lot. To It's how we built CMX. CMX, frankly, should have been a nonprofit when we started it because it was the same kind of idea, like three to four employees. At the, at the biggest, it was four employees. And we just wanted to have impact and help community professionals and didn't always have a, a great business model, but something that I talk about a lot on this show and the importance of communities figuring out how to monetize and become financially sustainable because we we tend to shy away from that sometimes when we build community because we want it to be very pure, impact-driven, not profit-driven. But if you don't get the resources you need, then you can't really have the impact that you know you want to have right. on the community that you're trying to reach. That you're exactly right. I, I learned it the hard way. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> yeah. But the, you know the, the benefit around it is, is that I did learn and I learned in time enough to uh, make a change. And we're in, I won't say that we're in a great position. We have tons of funding. Like I, I know a lot of coding organizations that have a lot more funds than we mm-hmm. do. But I think that is also, I think, a reflection of where the industry kind of is. You know, like it's very interesting because as a designer, we understand that design reaches the world in various different ways, right? Like, whether it be like a toothbrush or a cup or the chair you're sitting on or the car you're driving to the microwave screen that you're tapping or your phone, obviously, or TV, TV remote, like all of these things are designed for us to make and improve our right. lives. Yet we don't have full understanding of its impact in our life because it's become so a part of who we are and how we live our lives. And as a result of that, I think sometimes we take that for granted a little bit because we just, we're in the stage of like, yeah, okay, well, we need to make things look pretty, but we don't realize that like design is not necessarily just about making things pretty. It's about, you know, addressing real needs. And Absolutely. I, I use this analogy when people always ask me to say, okay, so what do designers do? And I, I tell them, I tell them like this, I say, <laughs> all right, so if you think about this, there's the contractor and then there's the architect. The contractor can build your home, right? Like it's possible, like they can get a plan or they can create a plan or whatever and say, okay, I'm going to build this house. But the architect is going to draw up the plans. They're going to look and try to understand, okay, what is the terrain that I'm building this house on? Who are the people that I'm designing it for? What is the materials that are going to be built and be most sustainable for the environment? And how do I make this thing beautiful and functional for people to live in? Mm -hmm. And that is the difference between what the designers 
are doing versus potentially like what an engineer might be doing for a product, right? Like, yes, the engineer's role is super important and super critical. And a big part of building products, uh, you know, lies on the laps of engineers. I agree 100% with that. But design also plays a huge role in architecting and developing and helping all parties understand how something should be built and how do you build something that people can actually use and find value out of. And that is the power that sometimes gets lost in the profession that we're working in. And the point I'm trying to make around that is, is that when it comes down to funding organizations like Interact Project, which are design, you know, sometimes it's harder for us to unlock the potential of our organization or the the funding potential for our organization because a lot of companies don't quite understand like for what we do as designers it's not as simple as putting a workbook or putting something in front of the student you have to actually work with students intimately and help them understand concepts how to think how to structure Mm -hmm. and how to develop you know your ideas in it's sometimes subjective, you know, sometimes it's a matter of one solution could be done in various different ways. So it's, right. uh, the teaching of it is a lot more different and, and yeah. our organization kind of sometimes has to deal with, with that dynamic. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's design, you could, you could teach coding, it's, it's a little bit more repeatable and process driven, a little less creative, although there's definitely creativity yeah. in coding. But for design, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's almost something you can't teach in a textbook. Like you have to just help people under, develop an intuition That's for right. it and, and an understanding of it in, in addition to language. And so, well, for everyone who's listening, this is your call to action to go get involved and, and do the interview training and the interview prep work and, and get involved with you guys. And, and this is an opportunity to step up and, and have an impact on an industry that needs more support from companies. So if you've been tweeting a lot about DEI, but you haven't done anything, this is a chance to do something. Yeah. And I know I would definitely appreciate it. I mean, the thing of it is, is that we, especially in light of what's been happening in our world over the last couple of years, it's, it's hard to not be empathetic towards the struggles of people of color. You know, it's becoming more and more. I mean, it's always been obvious to me. <laughs> you know, I've dealt with it so many times, racism so many times in my life. But I think if there's a call to action now, it, it's obvious. And I think that uh, what I've learned is that people want to help, but they don't always know how to help. And um, I'm hoping that through my organization, Interact Project, that we can provide some structure or better understanding of how to help, whether it be getting involved in our programs or just donating towards a cause that's going to be reaching people. Those areas are steps towards doing something. And people always ask me, they're like, okay, well, what can I personally do? How can I personally get involved knowing that I have a crazy schedule, I have things to do? And, you know, I always tell them, like, Getting involved in DEI or any initiative to help people of color, especially in design, it just starts by doing the small things. People feel like 
oh, I got to start this thing or I got to get X and X company behind me in order for me to engage or start something. And it really doesn't have to be that way. It can be just changing your mind state. How do you approach mm-hmm. people? Are you empathetic for other folks that you don't know? Are you getting to understand who they are as people? And are you able to leverage any opportunity that you have and extend that to someone who might not have that opportunity? And that, it just really kind of starts from there. And then once you've changed that mindset, then you, you will find other opportunities where you can dive in and help in other ways, whether it be giving your time or resources or donations, those will start to become more apparent to you mm-hmm. through that thinking, that process. That, that rings really true for me as a white male who has, like many other white people, become a lot more aware of these issues, but still didn't have a very deep understanding of it and feel felt that tension of like, I need to do something, but I have no idea where to start. And I think for me, you know, having spent the last year and a half, two years now, really trying to just learn and listen and seek out information and content, because that's the thing, it's, it's out there. You just have to look for it and not necessarily wait for it to come to you. And once I did that and I, I started to learn a lot more and felt more comfortable even just like participating in conversations around it, it, it really did start to just you start to notice it around you, whether it's in your job or in your life or in your friend groups or whatever. And in subtle ways, you start noticing it. And then and then all of a sudden something happens where you're like, oh, wait, yeah, that's that's not great. And that's within my realm of influence. I can do something about that. That's right. That you just wouldn't have been aware of if you didn't start by just learning and listening and getting familiarizing yourself with the experience that people of color have today. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it any better than that. That's, that's exactly it, right? And it's where we are now, right? Like we have witnessed some atrocious acts in our country over the last 400 years. There's been a lot of issues that we have gone through and people of color are still going through it. Don't get it twisted. Like stuff is still happening. And I know I've experienced things when I was a kid directly related to racism and I still deal with it. And I think like I have a son now, he's 11 and you know, I have to constantly tell him and explain to him everything that's going on in the news today because I want him to be, you know, aware of who he Absolutely. is and, and also be confident in the fact that as a, a black male, that he is important and that he is a valuable member to society, but he also needs to be careful. You know, there's certain things mm-hmm. he can say, certain things he can and cannot do. And I don't, I don't like to talk to him like that because I want him to feel like he can go anywhere he wants to go and say anything he wants to say and feel supported and comfortable in that. But it's just the reality of where we live in this country and how things are going. I have to prepare him to to know how to deal with certain situations um, that come come across his way. So. Well, if the fact that you have to do that and you feel you have to do that, even though you know it's not what you want to be communicating to your son, if that doesn't motivate people to see that things are still in need of, of a lot of work and a lot of change, then I don't know. I don't know what will. That It, it just it sucks that that's the reality. Yeah. But grateful for people like you who are working so hard to make that change and y'all need support. Thank you. Yeah. 
I could talk to you all day about this stuff. There's never enough time, but this has already been incredible. And now we have to move into everyone's favorite part of the show, the rapid fire question round. Mo, are you ready for the rapid fire question round? <laughs> I don't, I think I am. <laughs> as ready as you're going to be. <laughs> That's right. All right. Question number one. What's your current go-to pump-up song? Ooh, I would probably say Disappear by Foreign Exchange. Mm, I'm a Foreign Exchange uh, fan. I I like their music. And that song, Disappear, that pumps me up. All right. You heard it here first. That's your pump-up song. Okay, next question. Uh, Very briefly, what's like one concrete piece of advice that you would give to community builders and how to design communities intentionally? I would ask them or I would suggest to them that they start small and think scale. In order to get any initiatives off the ground, you know, you have to have some realization around how to do it and how to activate it and making the problem too big stifles that. You can have a big, big vision, but being able to sort of consolidate it down into one thing, one actionable thing that you can start in a week, a day, is where I would, I would generally advise, advise individuals to start with in community building. Love that. Spot on advice. All right, next question. What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others? Ooh, this one may be kind of weird, but... <laughs> I love the weird I answers. am a psychology buff. I love the psychology of learning. And there's this book called mm-hmm. Small Teaching that I am still reading can't even remember the author's name off the top of my head, but this book is, is great. It just talks about how, to, how people learn. And it's just very interesting, you know, as a designer, obviously, but also as an educator, it's important to understand how people retain information. I'm really into that. I love that. Author is James That's Lang. That's it. James M. Lang. I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm going to see if my wife knows about it. She's a middle school teacher. Yeah. So. Here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, at Everett. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Maybe you've hung out before. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Okay, cool. What is your proudest mentoring moment? Ooh, that's a tough one, actually, because I've mentored a lot of people. And, um, man, it's, it's hard to quantify just one. I think the my probably my most proudest one was... I had a student a couple of years ago who was my first student who, from middle school, went through middle school, high school, and then got accepted into design school. And that was a big, a big thing for me because it's really, really, really hard, actually, to get a student from middle school all the way up to the point where that person is working a full-time job or even getting to college. It's just a lot of retention over the years, a lot of work. And I think that was probably my, my proudest mentoring moment. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the incredible part of how long you've been doing this work for 17 years. So you actually have the opportunity to see the full cycle for some kids that you, know, you start working with very early on and then seeing how they develop. You can actually see the outcome of that impact that you have. That's really cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. All right, next question. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no? no. Okay. No way, man. That's a no-no. I've worn flip-flops with socks on, but... 
See, this is a weird, like, I don't understand how people are okay with flip-flops and socks, but not, like, slip-ons with socks. I don't know. It's something about the split toe with the socks on is weird. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that bothers me. Yeah, that's... Okay, so you've done the slip-on, like, flip-flop. You haven't done, like, sandals with the toe. No. See, I got to define the type of sandal in this question better. There it is, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll, I'll take that feedback. Okay, next question. Who in the world of community would you like to take for lunch? Ooh, man, right now, Obama. I know Obama is not, you know, he used to be a community organizer, but like, yeah. I would, man, I would jump at the bit to, to get in that dude's head and chat with him. That would be epic. Yeah, I just, I think the world of him because I know that he deals with a lot or he had to deal with a lot being president. And then even as a community organizer, and just, you know, picking his brain about, like, how to work through certain processes, especially in, in dealing with racism and dealing with this, you know, how to get people activated. I would love to, you know, pick his brain. He'd be one person I think I would want to. I don't think he's busy these days. You should reach out. <laughs> I should, actually. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, next question. Uh, so you won a Jefferson Award, which was an award given to people like Venus Williams, Shaquille O'Neal, Henry Kissinger, Cesar Chavez, Oprah Winfrey. So just, you know, some pretty successful people, uh, which is an award given to people for representing the good that's happening all around us in every community across the nation. So an absolutely incredible award. What advice would you give for others who are looking to have a similar impact in their work? Well, I think the obvious thing is just, you know, have passion. But I think that's the obvious thing. But to be honest, it's kind of hard to answer that because those that are doing this work, that are, are doing it because they care about the people that they're doing it for, that's all that matters. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, awards are fine. I don't really care about awards. I don't really care mm-hmm. about fame. I care about impact. I care about the students and the people of color that I work with. You know, I care about the relationships that I've had with, you know, partners and volunteers and staff and board and all of that and friends of IP. But I'm driven by the work. And that's what I think that if I was to pass on anything, I would just say, just stay centered around that. Mm -hmm. That will get you far. And I've been doing this now for 16 plus years. And uh, I've never paid myself really for Interact Project. I do it because I love it. I've never asked for any awards, never submitted my name into anything. Um, I just stay focused on the work, and that's all that matters to me. Love that. Awesome. All right, just a couple more. What is a community product or app that you wish existed? Well, one that I wish existed is one that I'm hoping that Interact Project will build. All right. Uh, which is... Let's hear the elevator pitch. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I would like for us to build a, a platform where communities across the nation are able to connect with opportunities for their kids, especially with design. Just something where, like, if they're looking to get into classes, they want to know what's happening in their, their town, they can go in this app and they can tap and then they can see, okay, these are the opportunities that exist. Mm-hmm. And then allow volunteers to be able to get in there and also be able to find opportunities for them to give back. 
and uh, mm-hmm. have a service like that that is beneficial to both parties so that, you know, um, communities can get that, get access to these opportunities. And then those that want to volunteer always have ways of understanding what's happening in the communities and what, what ways that they can um, support and give back. So we're looking to do something like that. Uh, that's coming in um, in the near future. But yeah, that would be one thing I would hope would exist in this world. That sounds awesome. Love it. All right. What is the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? Oh, I don't think I've ever been part of any weird community um, now that I, I think of it. That's exactly what someone would say who is part of it. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> yeah, man. Oh, man. That's a great question. I, man, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like, what? What is a weird one that I've ever been in? And I, I don't know. I'm sure like professional basketball is pretty weird. Like I'm sure you had like some weird rituals and stuff in there that no one really. Yeah, seems. well, it's, I guess you're right. It's hard for me to say that because, you know, it's not weird to me. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I guess it could be considered weird. But for me, it's not weird. It's so natural that I would never describe it as weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'll reframe the question as, What's a community you've been a part of that other people would consider weird? <laughs> so I would say when I was young, I used to be a part of a breakdancing community where we would basically go to parties. Yes. And I wasn't 6'10 then, but I was probably about six. I was the tallest guy in the corner on the block. And I was mm-hmm. tall guy breakdancing and going to parties <laughs> and pop locking. And, and yeah, you know, it was a bunch of us. We were all part of this crew. And we would just go yeah. to parties and just, uh, you know, we would practice our dancing and we would go to parties and represent. I love that. That's a perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> great. You have a great answer next time someone asks you that question. <laughs> yeah. Is there a question that I didn't ask that I should have asked you? Maybe thoughts around like how we identify and misappropriate uh, people of color through any representation, uh, visual representation. I talk a little bit about that sometimes. and. Obviously, in the work we're doing, we're educating, you know, we, we have advocacy programs, but the bigger context of what we do at Interact Project is also centered around uh, making sure that people are represented so that the visual images that represent people are not jaded. And if you think about mm. police brutality and all these uh, systemic issues that we arise around, we, we are, are confronted with, a lot of that not all of it, but a lot of it actually it can be attributed to visual culture because our society is bound by the things that we see, right? We see things and then we associate truths to those things that we see. And as a result of that, we have our prejudice because of that. Even if we haven't met people, we tend to have, we associate truths and prejudices that inform how we interact with other groups outside of our own. And if you think about like police, they don't live in the communities that they're policing in, right? So their representation of uh, people that live in, you know, black and brown communities are such based on things that they've seen, maybe some things they've experienced, but more, more likely things that they've seen or they thought about a specific culture that they have not been a part of. And that all speaks to this visual culture images and portrayals that have not been communicated by people of color, been communicated by whites for many, many years. And that is a big issue 
that we try to break down systemically through our programs we work with with uh, kids and communities of color. Mm. That's fascinating. And that strikes me as one of those really complex issues where it's like if we had diverse representation on design teams, then that wouldn't happen because those voices would be represented in the design decisions. But then you yep. have to get to the diverse teams and and you can keep breaking it down. But that, that rings absolutely true. And I think one other thing that I've learned there just to add to it is just to do that without tokenizing as well. Cause like you'll see some companies say like, well, yep. you know, we'll put our, on our about page, we'll put like the one black employee that we have on the picture that represents our team when that's not yeah. actually representative of their, the diversity that exists on the team. And so it's important to do it, but not yeah. just show it in your imagery, but to also be investing in all these other areas so that it's not a tokenized representation of people of color in your company, but actually representative of your values and your culture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, last question, and then I'll let you off the hook. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world, what would that advice be? I think if I was on my deathbed, my last thing would be probably that the measurement of success for me, or for what I believe the measures of success is helping others. I feel like, you know, there's something magical that happens, or there's this karma that happens when you are giving back to other people or doing or helping other people. It doesn't mean that you have to be helping people that you don't know. They can be helping people that exist within your group, your family structure. But Spending time to try to make a difference in someone's life, uh, I think, goes a long way towards, you know, your own personal success uh, or, or things that, you know, fill your spirit. Well said. All right, Mo, we're at our time. I, I can't thank you enough for right. coming on and, and sharing your story and sharing your experience and, and helping us all learn and get better. And I mean, the work that you've done, I said at the start, is truly inspiring. and I think. So it's a really incredible example for anyone else who wants to not just go to work, but also make sure they're doing work that has real impact for others. And that's very community driven and thinking very long term as well. Just an incredible role model. So I can't thank you enough for, for joining me and for all the work that you've done. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I thank you for allowing me to, to come on here and, uh, and speak and speak to your audiences. And yeah, I really appreciate that too. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. You're always welcome back. Open invitation. All right. So Interact Project, it's I-N-N-E-R-A-C-T project.org. You can go there, learn more, donate, get involved, uh, support. I highly recommend you do. You heard all about the incredible programs going on that you can get involved in or at least support with a recurring donation that would have a huge impact and give Mo and his team the resources they need to continue to expand. Anywhere else people should go to find you or continue to learn from you? I'm also on Twitter. If people want to follow me there, I don't tweet much, but I do often, you know, share thoughts or share work that I'm doing with Interact Project. And it's just uh, my at handle is just D-L-R-O-W-S-E-O-M. So it's just the word Mo's World spelled backwards. <laughs> it couldn't be more cryptic than I, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but I just, you know. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Trying to find, in, yeah, well, you know, trying to find a, a 
Maurice or Mo or something like that on Twitter, it becomes like Mo nineteen six four three eight two, you know. And I was like, all right, I just need to do something different. So that's the reason why. But you can find me there. All right, awesome. I'm gonna find you there, and we'll all follow you. All right, Mel, really appreciate it. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. All right, thank you. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.